Welcome to another episode of the 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 34. Well, God is giving people the instructions for how they are to live and operate and worship him. And we pick up in verse 19 where God says, The firstborn offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. So what this is talking about is a couple of things. Um, They were to bring the first fruits, not the leftovers, not the whatever we have lying around. They were to bring the first fruits to worship God. You know, we think of worship and we think of getting some guitars and pianos and we sing some songs or pray a prayer, but, but for them, worship was centered around sacrifice. Our sacrifice is Jesus Christ, but for them, it was the sacrifice of bulls and goats and sheep and birds. So God is saying, bring the first, the best, the what you have ready to go, not what you just have lying around that's kind of an afterthought. He's also saying, including the firstborn male of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Why? Because people will try to find a way out of it. Oh, well, God said that, but he didn't mean of my herds. He just meant, you know, uh, this one over here. Uh, people will try to find a way to make excuses for themselves and, and, and get out of things. That's just human nature. And so God is cutting off any excuses that they would have. Also, in addition to closing loopholes, he says, redeem your firstborn donkey with a lamb. Why? Because they weren't supposed to sacrifice a donkey. It wasn't on the list of animals used in the sacrifice. So God's saying, again, he's closing loopholes. Somebody say, well, I don't have sheep and I don't have bulls. And those are the things that we give to the Lord for sacrifice. So he's saying, what do you do? Well, you give a firstborn lamb instead. And if you don't, break the donkey's neck. Now, that seems cruel, but the idea is you're not going to break the donkey's neck. You're going to do the thing you're supposed to do. Now, we don't have any way of enforcing that people do what God has called them to do. Uh, And and I'm thankful that we don't live in any kind of like, you know, uh, police state when it comes to churches. You know, there's churches you hear about like... um, I don't think they're the they're true church, but the, the Mormons, you know, you'll hear about like their elder, their pastor going over to each person's house and checking their bank account statements to make sure that people are giving what they're supposed to be giving. Well, we don't do that. Why? Because it's not our business. That's between you and the Lord. But that being said, all of us have to be honest with ourselves and say, hey, um, you know, nobody's going to make me do this. It really is just between me and God. And I could lie to everyone else but God knows the truth. Now, are Christians supposed to uh, give like in this way? Um, You know, I don't have any goats or sheep or donkeys to give. I do believe that God has called Christians to give their best, their first fruits, not the leftovers. Um, 
I, I think one of the main challenges Christians have is giving their time. When, when I schedule out my life from Sunday to Monday, or if we're honest, from Monday to Sunday, if I schedule out my life from Monday to Sunday or from the beginning of the month to the end of the month, do I give God the first? Do I make sure that there is time in my schedule for um, personal relationship time with God? Like I, I make sure that in the schedule of my day, Angie and I have time with no children. It's at the end of the day, but we have time. I make sure I have time with my children. We have family time. From 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock at night, generally speaking, is sacred family time. Why wouldn't I do that with Jesus? Why wouldn't I do that with Jesus? And, and you might say, well, Adam, you have to be at church. True, but I've always been at church. Whether I was a pastor or not, I've always been at church. And I think there's this idea that people schedule their lives in a way where God doesn't get our first fruits. Now, certainly, there's also money, and, and we're not the church that makes a big deal about money, but I feel really comfortable talking about it because it's in the Bible. And money is where we put our, you know, our, you know, put your money where your mouth is, is the saying, right? If, if I'm giving my first fruits to the Lord or not, you know, and uh, does it have to be 10%? I don't know. <laughs> That's between you and the Lord. I'll tell you this, 10% is a principle I see in the scriptures. 10% is a number that's significant, but it's not going to break the bank. Do I believe that Christians always have to give? No, look, if you're in massive crippling debt, get out of debt. I, I think if somebody's in massive crippling debt, that the Lord would be just fine with them getting out of debt and then getting disciplined and on a place of tithing. But I would say this, even if you are in massive crippling debt, it's not crazy to at least say, I'm going to give the Lord a dollar. I'm not saying that, again, I'm not trying to get your money. I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. He can do whatever he wants. But there's a principle involved. You know, I heard the story, Bob Taylor, who owns Taylor Guitars. I own a Taylor Guitar. I like Taylor Guitars. But in the early days, now Taylor Guitars is one of the most successful guitar companies in the world. It's, it's really an American business success story. But in the early days, in the 70s, he could only afford to pay himself $10 a week. But he said, I paid myself $10 so that the business got used to paying its employees. And, and he's made millions since, you know. But I think there is an idea that I... I I don't think God has any problem with somebody getting their house in order, but do I have the principle in place of giving to the Lord? Now, you might say, well, you're just trying to get money for the church. All right, fine. Give to some other church. Give to some other missions or ministry or something. Just give to the Lord. That's between you and God. I believe that giving is an act of worship. It's a way to support what God's doing here in our church family. It might surprise you to know that, that Angie and I tithe to the church. We give the first 10% of our income to the church. And then we look beyond that for opportunities to be generous, uh, supporting cross-cultural ministry or, or different charitable things. But we, we do that. So that's what God's talking about. Then he says, redeem also your firstborn sons. In the culture of the people of the land of Canaan, the, the promised land that they were about to enter, Child sacrifice was incredibly common. God did not want them to sacrifice their child. He was laying claim on them 
But then he said, there's a way to redeem them. Just like you could give a lamb instead of the donkey. It's the same as true for the son. You were supposed to give a lamb as a replacement for the firstborn son. You would offer a sacrifice in replacement. But the idea was that God is saying, everything is mine. And I've given you everything that you have. And I want you to give back the first fruits of of what I have given you so that you can acknowledge where you've gotten it. Even your family, even your children. My children aren't mine, they're the Lord's. I've just been given responsibility for them. We spent a lot of time on one verse. He says, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. Again, I'm not here to tell anybody how to do uh, giving. It's between you and the Lord. That's what it says, so that's how I live. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during plowing season and harvest you must rest. We've talked a lot about Sabbath and resting. I believe that God has, knows that humanity needs rest. And again, how do you schedule your time? How do you schedule your week? Is everything wall-to-wall and so jam-packed that you have nothing left? And, and so the only time you have left to rest is just a little bit of time on Sunday morning. I believe that God, I don't think we have to follow a Sabbath as in, in some kind of religious thing. But God has designed it in us to rest. And so it's good for humans to rest. It's good for humans to say, all right, uh, I am going to rest and schedule time in my week to make sure that that's happening. As far as following it in some sort of religious way, I believe that Jesus is our rest and that he has satisfied the law. And I don't have to follow the old law but I can see the principles in it, the truths in it, and say, hey, that might be something that's really good for us to follow. So we try to have rest. We call it Fun Friday. You do what you want to do. Verse 22, celebrate the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times of year, all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel, I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. In the book of Judges, in the book of Judges, Israel's enemies came up against them and never once, never once, not once, did the entire nation come together and stand for each other. Not once. You know, we think that, that doing what God tells us to do is like just some spiritual thing, but there are practical reasons why God tells us to do things. You know, he says, verse 25, don't offer a blood sacrifice to me with anything containing yeast. And some of that is spiritual, but some of that's just hygiene. That, that so many of these laws in the Old Testament law are, are hygienic and keeping people away from pathogens and foodborne illnesses and disease. I am convinced where it says uh, back in, in uh, chapter 32, at the end of chapter 32, and the Lord struck the people with the plague after they had worshipped the golden calf and they had had this big rager. I, I am personally convinced that the plague that they had was some sort of communicable disease that came from the debauchery that happened that night. So we, we think of these things in really big spiritual terms, but they're just often practical terms. If you live in God's plans for sexual, uh, human sexuality, then you don't worry, generally speaking, about STDs or unwanted pregnancies. These are just things that if you live, well, that's impossible. 
I don't think it is. You said it, not God. The same is, is true here with, like, he says, I want all of the guys to get together three times a year. You know, I am, I'm pretty sure they weren't doing this when it came to the time of the judges. Because if you know people, if you get together three times a year with somebody, then when they need help, chances are you're coming to help them because you know them and you have a relationship with them. It's amazing how many people don't want to have relationship with the people of, in the church. And then when trials come and crisis comes, they say, hey, here, help me. And it's like, we'd love to help you, but we don't know who you are. Like, can you catch us up to speed? No, I need help right now. And you understand, I'm not saying like if somebody comes into the church bleeding, we're not going to go, oh, well, we need to get to know you first. But in a bigger sense, crisis comes and then people are looking around and they have no support system built up around them. God's trying to build up a relational connection because that's how he's designed people. He wanted his people to have a relational connection with each other. One of the things that I really do believe um, has been a challenge for our family of churches is that we have lost a relational connection that, that people in our church have never met people at our church in Salem or people at our church in East Vancouver. And I don't know, I'm got to ask the Lord, how do, how do we fix that? But there is something to that. God wanted them to connect with each other. And I'm pretty sure as I read the book of Judges, they weren't doing this. And then when their enemies came and it was time to rally the troops, never once did the people of Judah come out to help the tribe of Dan? Never once did the tribe of Simeon come out to help the tribe of Manasseh. Never once did the tribe of Benjamin go and help the tribe of Reuben or Gad. Because they didn't know each other. They were disconnected. Verse 25, do not offer a blood sacrifice with, to me along with anything containing yeast. Do not let the sacrifice from the Passover festival remain until morning. So there's three things. No blood, no yeast, and don't let it just sit out there. What's going on there? God is, aside from the, the health and, um, you know, sanitary reasons of no blood offerings, God is saying, you're not going to worship me like the people around you worship their false gods. I'm going to show you how to worship me in truth. Yeast is a picture of sin. And that's one of the reasons why we go with unleavened bread in the communion. Not that if you've ever had a big loaf of bread that obviously had yeast in it, that you've been sinning or something. But we recognize the symbol that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. That his body had no sin. And that, that this bread represents Jesus' perfect sacrifice. So God's saying, hey, you're not going to worship me like the world worships their false gods. You're not going to come to me with sin because I'm going to remove your sin. And then finally, he says, don't treat it passively. Like let's, what he's basically saying is you take the ram and you sacrifice it on the Passover. And then what happens? Oh, you just leave it out till the morning. And then somebody comes and takes care of it like it's no big deal. He's saying, I want you to treat this as if it's important because it is. And then he says, bring the best first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord. So he's saying, uh, your harvests, your wheat, your grain, your fruit, they're supposed to be this ingathering uh, to the house of the Lord. And then we come to one of the weirdest and often misunderstood verses of the Bible. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. 
And if you've ever known somebody who was uh, an observant uh, kosher Jew, uh, you'll know that they might have two refrigerators, one for the meat and one for the milk. You know, you can't have a cheeseburger. Why? Because there is the chance that the milk that made the cheese is from the mother of the cow that the burger came from. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. I believe that what this is talking about is I read scholars. I'm not an expert in ancient worship customs, but I can read the guys who are. And everything I've ever read says that this was part of a ritual practice that would have been involved in pagan worship. And God is saying, hey, your firstborn sons are mine, but you're to redeem them with a lamb. You're not to kill them. Hey, the people around you worship through blood sacrifice and the drinking of blood and this whole thing. And he says, you're not to worship me like that. Hey, you see this practice that's common. Don't do that. The church should look different. Now, does that, people have weird ideas about what that means. Somebody recently told me that, well, we have to have pews in the church, you know, the benches, because that's what will make us look different than the world. No, that's not what will make us look different than the world. You know what will? That we love each other. The world's so divided. Imagine Christians saying, you know what, I don't care if you voted differently than me or you're older or younger than me. I'm going to choose to love you. You want me to wear a mask? Sure, I'll put it on for you. I'm going to assume that you're, you're not vaccinated. I'm not going to assume the worst about you. Maybe you have a reason that I don't know about. This verse that people get so weirded out by and they're like, well, can I have, you know, I love like stroganoff, you know, beef and cream sauce. I love that. Can I not have that? No, this is, this is talking about sacrifices. Even in the context of this, this is talking about a worship practice. Verse 27, then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and Israel. And Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablet the words of the covenants, the Ten Commandments. So this is the writing of the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law. And then Moses will go back down. Verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. And Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to them and he spoke to them. And afterwards, all the Israelites came near to him and he gave them the commands of the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to him, he put a veil over his face. And whenever he entered the presence, the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. But when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded and they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over the, his face until he went to speak with the Lord. That's a weird story too. There was some sort of physical effect on Moses from spending that much time in the presence of God. It's unique. It's not normative anywhere in scripture. So I don't worry about trying to replicate it. But I know this, that if I want to be different from the world, if I want to live in this difference that we see God talking about in these verses here, it's found not in having pews or using hymnals. You know, I like hymns. It's not against that, but it's not found in these, like, we're going to go to some old form of church. So to be different, and it's not found in keeping a bunch of rules that I will set up for myself so that I can look different. It's found in the presence of God. 
Remember I said at the beginning, how do we structure our life? How do we schedule out our week? When I am in the presence of God, that's where the difference will be. That's where the difference will be. And Aaron and these guys, they didn't, I don't know. I think there's a lot that people project onto what's going on here with Moses. He's putting the veil over his face. And there might be some truth to that. You know, what can people handle? I would say if you have questions about that, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. We have new episodes of the 20-Minute Bible Study available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Video versions are available on our Facebook. You can follow us at Faith on Hill, both Facebook and Instagram. If you have any questions, like I said, you can email adam at faithonhill.com. We'll see you next week for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study, and we'll see you Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both in person and online for our Sunday morning worship gathering. God bless you, and we'll see you again next week for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.